everybody, I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something not through no fault of our own or through our own making we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources so that no matter where you are on your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. It's another day in paradise, and this is Debbie coming to you from sunny South Florida. And I'm so excited today because I have a very special guest coming to me from Texas. Actually, my speaker, my guest speaker is from Texas, and we have a lot of guests from Texas. I guess the word got out in Texas that Michael D. Butler was in the house. So, Michael, welcome to Stand Up and Speak Up. Thank you, Debbie. So happy to be with you. Congratulations on your show. Thank you so much. It's very, it's fun. It's really a fun thing. Yesterday, I got interviewed on a show called Media Boss. And as I was doing my research on you, and I do research on all of my guests, and I've got to tell you, there is a plethora, there's my word for the day, of information out there about Michael D. Butler. You are everywhere. Well, and- it's it's called being um, omnipresent. And uh, that's what you want when you're when you're in business and when you're a business owner. Exactly. And that was the fun thing about the show yesterday, because when people think of media, initially they're going to digital or virtual, but it's everything. And we're going to talk about that today because you've got all the bases covered. And but, but, but well, it, thanks for your kind words. It's an ongoing effort. And so, uh, like you said, change, it was the big word, plethora and change. Change will be my word today. Yours is plethora, <laughs> but it's always changing. So, so you always want to be serving up valuable content. And I know you do on this show. Absolutely. And our show always starts with who you are, Mr. Guest. We're going to go back in time. And I'm going to see if I can just get you here to speak. We're going to go back in time, Michael. I want to go to when you grew up. Oh, wow. That, oh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> that was- the reason I do this, because I want people to get to know who you are, where you came from, what your family was like, if you had brothers and sisters, that kind of stuff. So, Michael Butler, who are you? I, I'm just a nerd kid from Oklahoma with my library card maxed out. And... <laughs> I, I grew up on a small farm in Oklahoma, a small town called Vanita, and um, there, there wasn't a lot happening in our small town of 6,000 people. In fact, every night uh, we had two channels, uh, ABC and NBC, and uh, I was the family antenna being the younger brother. And so er- every night after dinner, I would get my aluminum full and hold the antenna so the rest of the family could watch the movie. And that was that was my introduction in media. So I've been working in media a long time, a plethora of things on my resume involving aluminum foil on the family farm in, in Oklahoma. 
so, so many good memories there. I would actually borrow my brother's library card and max it out as well because we had a 10 book max on the library card. And so I would say, I would say that that's made all the difference. He went on to become the valedictorian because he, he would study every night after dinner until bedtime. I would go out and ride my motorcycle and, and chase the cows and ride my horse. I can remember eight years old every day getting off the school bus, bridling and saddling my horse, taking him for a ride, and then doing my chores. That was my daily grind in Oklahoma. But I was always a dreamer. You know, Debbie, I stuttered as a kid. And the, li- school, the, the local librarian knew this, and she gave me a book that was written by an 11-year-old kid. And I was fascinated by that. In fact, I, we had 30-acre pasture, a cattle farm, and I would lay out there in the pasture and read the book. And I can remember, I don't remember the, the child's name that wrote the book or what the title was, but I remember there was a picture of a sailboat on the front. And you being in Florida, particularly uh, your area of Florida, you're going to appreciate this because it ignited my imagination. And I began to dream. I'd never been to the ocean. I had never seen the ocean. I hadn't seen too many planes back then. But I tell you, when a plane would fly over, I began to dream. And I would look up at that dream because I was a kid that stuttered. And uh, when I went to school, I stuttered and kids made fun of me. So as a natural outgoing extrovert, I became an introvert. Uh, I told myself that my voice didn't matter. I told myself that my words were not important. And uh, I find a lot of people have a similar experience growing up. There's a parent, there's a teacher, there's a sibling, there's a coach, there's somebody that tells you you can't. But hopefully there's somebody in your life like this librarian that gave me the book and I began to believe I can. I began to believe all things are possible. And I would look up at those planes, Debbie, and I would say, you know, one day I'm going to I'm going to travel all over the world in these planes and speak to thousands of people. And I've actually got a picture. You you asked me to talk about my childhood during my sixth grade year. And I don't know who snapped the picture. I got up to give a speech to my to my sixth grade class of 300 children. And there's actually a picture in my book. I don't know who snapped it and if you can see it here, but I'm just an 11 year old kid at the podium giving my acceptance speech, thanking them for the perfect and thanking my mom for the perfect attendance award for getting me to school every day. And so there you go. I got up and gave that two sentence speech, Debbie, after preparing for two weeks. And you know what? Didn't stutter, didn't stutter one bit. And so that was life changing for me. I knew at that moment I either wanted to be a meteorologist or a minister because those were the only two professions you would actually get paid to be a a public speaker. So so there you have it, Debbie, my childhood in a nutshell. Wow, that's so true. It's, and it's interesting, Michael, I never would have guessed, thought, I didn't hear this about you, about the stutter. You're the second media person I've interviewed in the last six months that grew up as a child with a stutter. And another one is now Linda Fisk. Linda is a leader of leadership global out of Dallas. Incredible woman, most articulate woman that I've met. And she told me her story and we called it Grace and Grit and Grace. But I love I love Linda. She she's amazing. She's doing amazing things. She's she, a dear friend. She is, but she said that when she would go to school, her parents would not, they would tell the teachers, don't call on her. Oh my. So they basically shut her down. Yeah. They, they didn't want her to use her voice. 
and and she she would have let it stop her and she could have like you but now she's you know the world's largest female podcast network so look, look at that isn't that amazing it's amazing and i'm thinking don't let the naysayers keep you down that that is exactly right and that's what i love about another day in paradise and <laughs> that's what i love about your book fearless because you're all about that you've been doing this for for a long time and helping people find their voice and share their story. So kudos to you, but uh, well, thanks. Thank you, you. you know, long time. I just got to say this, Debbie, that those stories were painful because I applied the wrong meaning to them. I was looking at it as something happening to me and not as something happening for me. And so now that I've gotten older, I think we get perspective on things. And the biggest story in the world is the story we tell ourselves. You know, and that story motivates us. That story uh, changes us, challenges us, and pushes us forward and inspires others if we let it. Well, it can motivate us or it can stop us. Mm -hmm. You know, if we feel like we've been taken advantage or we're the victim of something, then that defines us and we just stop. But yeah, that's absolutely. not what this show's about. That's not what you're about. It's all about get out there, stand up, speak up, and get your message out. And I, we could go in so many different directions because like I said, you are out there. I was listening to different videos, but the one thing I want to get onto right now that's going to make you laugh, they call you Colonel Butler. Colonel Butler. Now, now that produces an image. Uh, I, I got to say, I, I grew up loving uh, the Colonel's KFC uh, coleslaw and fried chicken, but that's not the kind of Colonel we're talking about so anybody from kentucky we just had the kentucky derby um have a lot of authors in kentucky they know what that's all about so that was quite an honor and thank you very much well i just saw that and i'm like yeah you didn't have your hat on well you know i i, I was on twitter yesterday and i noticed there was a, a marine corps vet that was sharing some valuable information and in his twitter bio it says that he's a kentucky colonel and i thought that's very interesting. So yeah, I, I was grateful that the governor of Kentucky uh, last year conferred on me the, the title of Kentucky Colonel for people that uh, do things for the great state of Kentucky. And we have so many amazing authors there like Dee Dee Cox, uh, who, who's a part of some exciting things. Um, you know, uh, many authors there that have written fiction and nonfiction books, but that are also involved with nonprofits. Uh, Eileen Hornbach, uh, Claudette, um, you know, uh, Patton is doing amazing things. And so Dee Dee is kind of spearheaded all that because she's worked so many years in helping young girls in the pageant industry. And she helps them with confidence because they're learning pageant skills and they're being interviewed. And several of those young girls have gone on to author books with us and do speaking tours in their local schools and things. And so she's really an agent of change and two book, two of her books are being optioned for movies. So she's doing amazing things in, in the state of Kentucky and that's Dee Dee Cox. So uh, I would, I would say she's the reason that, uh, that, that um, Kentucky Colonel honor was bestowed upon me. So, so thanks for bringing that up. That's, that's a great honor. And they're doing amazing things there with that. I saw the video uh, where she was interviewed about her books and mm -hmm. the horses and the, the things she's doing with horses 
and the young woman that she got involved to be her co-author. I just thought that was amazing. And I, I'm going to have to reach out to Didi because I think she'd be a really fun guest. To you, know, you know, Didi is a hoot. In fact, there's a uh, there's a book show in Kentucky in October that I want to invite you to because Didi has got some stage time. We're renting a booth there. And I think it's just going to be phenomenal. Uh, after COVID, New York shut down their book show. It's not coming back. But Kentucky and some of these grassroots states are really uh that's where the real readership is. That's where the real fans of, of these amazing books are. And so Didi would be fabulous to have on your show. In fact, of all of my authors that do book signings, Didi does uh, more book signings than all of my other authors put together. And that's why we did a video on how to get more book signings. If you just Google Michael Butler, Didi Cox book signings, you're going to see a video on how to get into bookstores and get book signings because she's phenomenal at it. Well, it's, you guys are doing some amazing things, Michael, and it comes from your passion for reading, your passion for getting the word out. You've done a lot of work with women authors. I'm not putting the men down, but recently, too, you guys just came out with the women immigrants with my friend Emily Latran is in it. Uh, yeah. and, and, I, and since I met you in Dallas, since I did our book launch uh, for the gift called Fearless in Dallas, I interviewed Ilona and I've interviewed other gals that we were with. R.L. Shaver, uh, Shaver was with us too. He's, he's phenomenal. But I've noticed that you've done a lot of, you put a lot of emphasis on the women authors. We have a lot of women watching this show. Yeah. So why yeah. are you so impassioned about women here? Well, yeah, we always have a token guy there. In fact, R.L. Uh, was the token guy. And uh, it, it's funny you mentioned the powerful female immigrants because this last Friday we had uh, 25 of our, our female authors uh, doing a pre-launch of that book and some media, gathering some media in the studio to promote it. And then we had a token guy there, the author Dave Norrie came in. So um, uh, that that's a great question. It, it's, it really comes down to this, Debbie. Women buy books, women read books, women buy books. And if they're going to, if, if, if a if a men's book is going to be purchased, it's normally purchased by a woman as a gift for the man. So men don't read, men don't buy books, and men typically don't write books. So you've heard me speak from stage, and my pitch is, I love women, I love women's events, and I love sponsoring women's events, because as a global book publisher with authors in 30 countries, 90% of our authors are women. So like you mentioned, Linda Fisk, we're doing some things with, with her organization, Leadership Global, because that's our target market is women, eWomen Network. That's our, that's our target market. We work with women because you know what? When the West was won in the US, it was the men that were building brothels and saloons, but the women were building the churches and the schools. And not, not a lot's changed since then. I mean, there are some outliers and there's some great men, don't get me wrong, but we just focus our market on women because if we want the word to get out about a book launch, this, this book, Powerful Female Immigrants, it's been in my, my mind and my heart for a long time. I've always been amazed, Debbie, at women that, that come here as immigrants with 50 bucks in their pocket. They don't speak a word of English. And five years later, they've mastered the language. They've got several businesses. Their kids are successful and, and they're philanthropists. And so immigrants are four times more likely to become millionaires than people born in this nation. But it's normally fueled by a woman. And so we've got some powerful women in that book from 
from China, from Russia, from Serbia, from Venezuela, from Estonia, from uh, Ilona's country of Georgia. And so it's just been phenomenal to hear their stories and struggle. But these are women that didn't remain victims. They were women that overcome. They shifted their mindset. In fact, the other day I was Ubering from the airport. I find myself in, in, in planes and in Ubers a lot lately. And there was an immigrant there from Ethiopia. And she was telling her story with, uh, to me. And it was just amazing because she had zero opportunity where she came from. In in two years' time, she's already come so far. She has a special needs child. But because her mother served in the military, she was able to get her mother to sponsor her and get her visa and get her over here. So there's just so many amazing, powerful stories like that, that I love to feature. And I think those stories really go viral because the other, the other point to that women, why do we focus on women is that a lot of people write a book in the U S and they're writing it for the U S market. But I say, write your book for the world because 85% of college grads never buy or read another book after college. And so we focus on the 76% of book readers that buy and read books in English outside of the U.S. And so that's why that's why I'm so fascinated about it. But also goes back to my mom, Debbie, my mom, Donna Butler, changed my world because she would make me as a second grader, as a seven-year-old second grader, after I got my, my uh, school lessons back, she would make me go back and correct my phonics, correct my spelling correct my math problems. And I would complain and say, but mom, I've already got a grade on this. It's a B minus. She said, you fixed those three problems you missed. And she would make sure I knew what I was doing. So I didn't get left behind. And, and I think the world would be a better place if there were more moms like that. And so I, I thank her for that. And so that's why we're so passionate about working with women. Well, I love those answers. And I, I was going to go to your mom at one point, because I just feel that that moms, I was a stay-at-home mom for many, many years. And the one thing that my youngest says today, and he's 28, he would laugh because he said, mom, how come you didn't stay home as long with me as you did with everybody else? I said, (laughs) daddy went overseas and I had to go back to work and you're doing just fine, but you didn't make homemade meals like so-and-so's mother did. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, get me in the heart. He's a fabulous young man. He's got a great heart. And that was the, one of the greatest times in my life for those 11 years of spending time in, in scouts and in church and in, you know, homeschooling over the summer because I didn't want the kids to be mediocre. Yeah, you don't want them to lose everything they've learned in school. And so good for you because you're a mom that was proactive. My mom used to pay us to read books and do book reports in the summer. She, You mentioned scouts. She took us to scouts. They took us to church every time the doors were open. It wasn't enough just to take you to church. They would ask you questions. They would quiz you on the way home about what you learned and how you're going to apply it to your life. So I was really blessed because my mom worked a job when we were growing up that she was off summers. She worked for the county treasurer's office and they actually let her take off. She had to negotiate that pretty hard, but you know, she's like, my two boys are young and I'm going to be with them in the summertime. And so they hired her for that. And uh, you know, Tony Caruso, who's, who works with eWomen, eWomen Network and their speakers bureau is having me speak in Dallas in July. And we were talking about this yesterday in a mastermind about the impact that moms make. In fact, that's what I'm speaking to her eWomen Network in July about is because 
women can truly plant those oak trees that are going to change the future. You know, we talk about leaving a legacy and normally guys, when we, when, when guys think about leaving a legacy, we look at our, our bank account. We look at our 401k. We look at our life insurance and we say, okay, if I die of a heart attack or, or when I leave the earth, I'm leaving a legacy of X number of dollars for my children and grandchildren and, and, and whatnot. But women, women look at it differently. Women look at you know, are my kids emotionally healthy? Are they able to start a business? Are they uh, able to communicate? Are they, do they have the interviewing and life skills? Are they going to be successful in their marriage? Are they going to be, did I equip them to be successful mothers and fathers? And I think that is, is what is so powerful. And women are the nurturers and they're, they're truly the nation builders that we need in our society more than ever. That's an interesting point, because when I left the Air Force, you know, I was in the Air Force for eight years, and I met with the general that I worked for at the Pentagon for an exit interview. He opened up his big black book, and he started writing. He goes, okay, so tell me what you're going to do when you leave. And I said, sir, I'm going home to raise my children. He closed his big book down, and he said, that's the greatest thing that you could do for your kids, because you will, we would love to have you in the Air Force for 20, 25 years. You won't be a general because you weren't a pilot. You would have made a great influence. However, you will influence generations by what you do with your family. Wow. And that is the quote I, I would love to take and, and put in some of my upcoming books because I'm writing more and more about this because this is really at the end of the day, I think, you know, you hear it all the time on your deathbed you know, what was important to you and what do you wish you could have changed? And I don't think that's the decision you're going to regret at all. And it, it sounds like your kids are already so grateful to you and honor you for that decision. Well, my kids went into the military. <laughs> I have one in the Marine Corps, one in the army and uh, they're married to military. So yeah, it was, it was a great lesson. It was a struggle. And that's the thing I was, I struggled with I had friends that were working mothers. I had friends that were stay-at-home moms. At that time, this is back in the 80s, you know, there was a big struggle of, oh, well, you're, you're only a stay-at-home mom. What do you do all day? I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I worked so hard when I was at home. Uh, and then when I went back to work, I was like, I had great empathy for the, for the moms. When Lou died, I had even greater empathy for the single moms. Yeah, and absolutely. I, my daughter finds herself in that position as a single mom and my heart breaks because the support, she doesn't have the support that she, she could have. Yeah. But she called the other day and said, mom, I don't know what to do. She goes, I have friends, married friends with kids invited me to go to brunch on Saturday, not thinking that I'm a single mom. There's no, there's no childcare for me. I don't have someone to take care of my kids. Yeah. I said, you know, it's interesting. We don't think about we don't. The, the support that yeah. others need. And that's a great what you're doing is really putting it out there of we're all in special situations, but mm -hmm. think about the situation that your best friend might be in How yeah. do you support rather than hole up in our homes mm -hmm. yeah. and not judge. We can be very judgmental against other women and other men. And that's, yeah, of that. I, I, I really love that. You know, Tatiana Omanovic from Serbia is a retired 
uh, gunnery sergeant, Marine Corps, four kids, and she's a dear friend of mine. And you know what? She she went through so much, and, and she struggled when she came here and uh, and joined the Marine Corps. She was 12 years old when she came here. She was she was from a single parent home, and as a 12 year old kid, she would literally go to the U.S. Embassy every day on a daily basis and knock on that door and and ask for the status of her visa application to the U.S. And so I I just admire these 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 women that are so amazing that work so hard i mean i look at my mom because i wasn't from a single parent home she knew what it was like to grow up in a single parent home and i think that's one reason that she was so patiently willing to go through all the hard work that she did because i remember she didn't sleep much she would work get up early make everybody's lunches and so but she was more like a drill sergeant i mean she wasn't during those years she wasn't super nurturing she wasn't i mean i'm a words of affirmation kid i wasn't getting words of affirmation i was getting drill sergeant uh every every day coming home and questioned i was getting interrogated and at the time i didn't appreciate it but now i've got these checklists in my head and i'm like okay did i get this done today what am i going to do tomorrow who am i going to help how am i going to serve tomorrow and i got that from my mom and so it, it was powerful yeah it's interesting and you're a father of four boys yeah 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 i it it it's it, and so the way it played out with me and and you know my my wife and i unfortunately divorced 22 years ago um, I wanted to find the balance between being the Disneyland dad and being the drill sergeant dad, because I, I empathize with the kids because I went through the divorce. They were 10, 8, 6, and 4. In fact, my first book, Single Dad Survival Guide, I wrote as a result of that experience. And that was actually the first book I published and still get interviewed a lot now on, on media with Father's Day. Father's Day is coming up. I'll, I'll do a lot of media interviews around that because there's a lot of hurting dads. There's not a lot of resources for dads. But what I found was I need to be there as the emotional help, the emotional support of my kids, even though I was emotionally hurting and I didn't feel like being present for them because I needed to be in my cave. I felt for a while to at least um, what I was doing partly was self-medicating. But after I got past the self-medicating, I was I was focusing on caring for Michael and moving forward with my life. So, you know, it, 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 it's tough, but at the same time, it can be done. I think we look back on past generations and we appreciate the positive things. And then we give our parents grace, too, because we realize, wow, they did a lot with very little resources. You know, they didn't have a lot of the resources that we have. So I give them a lot of grace and hopefully my kids will give me grace. And it sounds like your your kids really appreciate the fact that you were there for them. And um and uh, as my kids get older and it shifts from me being their parent because I couldn't be their best friend. Now we're becoming closer and it, it, it's much more like a friendship. Well, and that's exciting. I, I'm leaving this weekend to go to Hawaii on grandma duty. So that, uh, that's the next adventure is and you've got two two grandkids, two grandsons, I, two grandsons. They are they are nine and four. And it's it's an epic time. I just I just love it. It, it's incredible. So you're going to have a blast. That's awesome. It's going to be exciting. A long ways to go from a beach to a beach, but I, I don't get to see them very often in person. So I'm really excited. Um, but when I was, I heard of a podcast about your book and why you wrote it. And you said two things that were very important. It's tradition and routine. Can you yeah. expand a little bit about that? Because that's not just for kids, but for us too, maybe. 
Yeah, I was actually being interviewed on NBC Palm Springs about that. And, and the question came up in the middle of the pandemic, you know, with kids going back to school with masks on. And then and then some of it was partial in-person, part, part of it, virtual learning. And I talked about uh, going through a divorce. When you're going through a divorce as a parent or really this applies to any parenting is single parenting or otherwise is is tradition. And then what was the other one I said? You said routine. Yeah, routine and tradition. These are very important in kids' lives. You you know, in the military and raising military kids that you move. And I, I was a pastor. I, I was a youth pastor in Waynesville, uh, Missouri, Fort, Fort Leonard Wood. And our congregation would turn over 40% every year. So in seven years, we had an entirely different congregation. And it's so important because people need those routine customs and traditions around everything, around coming home from school, around going uh, to school in the morning, getting up having a routine. Kids grow and thrive in a routine. And for kids to grow up and be truly successful with, with all kinds of extenuating circumstances and changes in the environment, it's okay. And the pandemic taught us that things are going to change. Things aren't always going to remain the same. I grew up in a small town. I was blessed to grow up in small town, Oklahoma. So we had traditions, we had, we had family, we had routine even though it seemed boring at times, it, it taught me so much about work ethic and discipline and how to start a business and how to make things happen operationally. But I, I think in our society today, because we have school shootings and we have so much 24-7 media that to try to to scare and try to control with fear. I think kids need nurturing and they need tradition and they need routine. And so I, I even found myself giving myself that as I got older and my parents maybe were away on a business trip. I got into my routine. I'm not naturally an organized person. I'm a creative. And so my office is a mess. My house is a mess, but I know exactly where everything is. And I let the ideas flow. And I don't judge myself because I'm not wired like my brother, the valedictorian whose sock drawer is organized because you walk into my place. Some days I've been known to wear two mismatched socks and it's okay. It doesn't ruin my day. In fact, I just laugh at myself and create something new that day. I, I understand that. I, I've actually gone out with two different color shoes on. Same shoe. One's black, one's blue. <laughs> oh, you are my inspiration then because I got back from a four country tour in March. I, I had a mastermind in Cabo. I had a layover in Dallas. We got two snowflakes in Dallas. They canceled a flight to Greece. And so I had a piece of luggage that got stuck in Dallas for 30 days as I went to Greece to, to launch a book and shoot a documentary, went to London to speak on stage and shoot a documentary, went to Dubai to shoot a documentary. And when I come back home and finally got that piece of luggage, I was missing two shoes, one left, one right shoe, but they weren't from the same pair of shoes. So you solved my problem. Now I can appear in public with your blessing with mismatched shoes. No problem. Well, actually, I, I came home from Dallas and meeting with you and I had just bought a brand new pair of shoes to go to India. I brought them to Dallas. I was wearing them and we were changing, right? We were changing from gowns to regular shoes. And one of my um, shoes broke. Remember that? One of my oh, shoes, yeah. the heel broke off. But I get home and I unpack my suitcase and I'm missing one of my favorite new shoes. Oh, no. I left it in the dressing room of your studio. And I think I might've written somebody say, Hey, before they throw it out. <laughs> and you grab. But anyway, my shoe. Is that back. I'll have to check on that for you. I, uh, 
uh, every time, every time, every time I travel or every time I go to our studio, I lose something. Yeah. And so um, that that's just hilarious. That's just hilarious. Well, I, just listening to your travel schedule, it has me exhausted. I'm like, oh my gosh, are you ever at home? Well, I, you learn you learn how to take cat naps on planes, and that's all you need at my age. So I mean, I mean, you know what? We can sleep later. <laughs> that's true. You went to Philadelphia once. Here's another thing I learned about you. And you actually, you just interviewed Dr. Oz uh-huh. and you were in Philadelphia and something came up and reminded you of the Rocky series. Oh yeah. 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 Well, you, you know, uh, when you look at the Waze app, uh, the hotel where we were doing our event uh, with Dr. Oz was just, uh, uh, you know, uh, three quarters of a mile from the Rocky steps. That's and what I was going to talk about. You know, you know, you're in Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, as, as a kid growing up, I remember that first Rocky movie, Yo, Adrian. And, you know, it was rags to riches story of you're down, you're, you know, but you're going to give it all. And, uh, you know, it's, it's an amazing story there. It, it's a it's a two billion dollar franchise. I think 13 movies in that series. And, you know, it's so funny when I got back from, you know, I did a couple of videos there. I haven't published any of those, but it was really more for me than anything. I actually interviewed Rocky and presented him a copy, Rocky Balboa, a copy of my book, Finding the Speaker's Edge. So I figured, hey, if you're going to be in Philadelphia, which originally, I mean, I mean, for I think two years was the capital of our country. Right. So there's a lot of history there. The Liberty Bell got a picture with the Liberty Bell. I love history. I, I have never been a math and science guy. I have always been an English and history guy. And so I love history. And so I, I'm fascinated every time I go to Philadelphia, I do something different. And this time it was the Rocky Steps and the Liberty Bell. So just a lot of great history there. And, and there's another uh, example of a, of a guy that had a dream, had an idea, but his only requirement to the to the studio he sold it to was I'm I'm the I'm the main actor. You're not going to hire another A-list actor. I am the actor in the movie if you want to buy this script. And for a lot of years, he was told no. And then finally, he was down to his last buck. And they said yes. And the rest is history. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> Did you run up those stairs? Oh, ab- absolutely. I was out jogging with a, a doctor friend of mine. And I had her take the uh, video camera. And we we took turns videotaping each other running up the stairs. Yep. <laughs> Can't wait to see that with the music going on in the background. How fun. The, the only thing was I didn't have the gray sweats. You know, he had the sweats like <laughs> my dad wear those those gray sweats back in the 80s. <laughs> and you also said something about being intimidated there. Why do we feel intimidated and then shut down? How, how do we get past that and, and open up and raise our voice? Because it's the greatest stories that you're going to be intimidated and then not ever speak. You know, it's a good point. I don't remember what context it was. I was also speaking at Temple University that week there in Philadelphia. And so uh, I think just in general, business people that are finding their voice, getting on stage for the first time, writing their book, going on their book tours, uh, we, we have that imposter syndrome tapes playing in our head of saying you can't do it. And, and like with me, it was stuttering with others. It might be, you know, um, maybe a parent or a brother said, hey, you're not beautiful or you're not smart or those kind of things that are ringing in your ears when you're getting up to speak, when you're getting up to do your interview. We all have that. And so we deal with our demons. And and I think at the core, it, it's self-confidence and I think daily affirmations are very important. I'm constantly doing my 10 daily affirmations. I change them from time to time. 
I speak positive affirmations over my children. I speak positive affirmations over my life and my business. And I find that those things really manifest because I believe them. And I think when it, if you come down to the point where you believe in you and you know you're on mission to do what you're called to do and you step up and do it, nobody can doubt that. And I think, you know, sometimes you're around somebody and they've got low self-esteem or they're feeling funky about themselves and you pick up on those feelings. And it's not really you feeling insecure when you meet somebody new. But if you've ever felt those feelings of insecurity, ask yourself, because if you're generally a positive person, it's probably not you. It's probably them. And they're just projecting their insecurity. So if you can say something to kind of diffuse the situation, give them a generous compliment, not just about their clothes, but about their core values and their attitude that you appreciate, it'll boost their confidence and it'll bring the room back to homeostasis. And then you can do business together and, and move forward. Well, that's good. Good advice for in person. But what do you do about online? I found recently that, and my story is, it's a story of a victim that has turned into a survivor, thriver, advocate. But there's a lot of uh, victim blame that is tossed my way and tossed the way of all the women and men in my organization, which scars the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams. But I had a, an, an article, CBS revisited the story a couple of weeks ago, and I got an email from someone anonymous in capital letters, so nasty. And it's been 10 years for me. So I, I didn't think anything of it, but I, I looked at that going, why would somebody do that? Why would they take their time, which I find is precious to do something so negative against someone they have no idea who they, who they are. They have no idea who I am. Do you, have you ever en encountered that? And, and what do you do with that? You know, that's a great point. And I love the work you do with scars. I think it's just just outstanding and awesome. I, I think it's hard for people to forgive themselves and let go. Maybe they did lose money. Maybe they were scammed or maybe they lost 10 years of their They allowed themselves to lose 10 years of their life and they haven't forgiven themselves. And I think that's the biggest thing. And anytime I encounter somebody like that, uh, at first it hurts because it's a personal attack against me, but it's normally unmerited. And, uh, and I realized that, you know what, they haven't forgiven themselves from allowing themselves to be scammed. And they also haven't forgiven themselves uh, from the years that were lost um, as a result of them, you know, enabling that, right? They enabled that for a period of time. And so they lost a period of their life. And I empathize with them. I forgive them, but also I'm going to put some borders and boundaries around them because they're not a safe person right now because they haven't learned how to forgive and let go. And I think that's what's so powerful about what you do is you help people move on, but you also help them be diligent and proactive to protect themselves from being scammed again. So uh, yes, that does happen. And I think it, it hurts as bad as it did in junior high, but I think the way we handle it now is, is more effective if we choose to do so. Well, that's true. And one of my girlfriends I interviewed recently, she said her grandfather told her, taught her that words have two things. Words can do two things. They can heal or they can hurt. And I found that hurt people hurt people with their words. Mm -hmm. And, and it's usually in what I'm doing today with the story is now educating others on how it can happen to maybe not you, and I hope not you, but it could be your mother or your father, your, your girlfriend, your son, your daughter, 
it's going to happen to somebody because most victims don't speak up and the scammers laugh their way to the bank. Yeah. So it's yeah. like you would say, it's grace. Give someone a little generosity and kindness and don't shame them for something that happened to them. Maybe you're, maybe you need to make yourself feel better. Like that, that would never happen to me. Well, I hope it doesn't, but it's happened. Well, I think powerful about your story is you, you, uh, you opened up to your family and you, uh, you weren't ashamed to share your story about what you had lost with your kids. And, and that helped you face that reality because somebody exploited, exploited the fact that you were vulnerable and recently, uh, been through what you had been through. And so, uh, uh, that's, that's great. I think having the right support around you is very important. And it all goes back to the story we tell ourselves because when we're, when we have those feelings of falling in love and we're chatting with somebody, it, it changes the perspective because our reality becomes skewed. And, uh, but if we've got a healthy team in our life and we're getting feedback from people, and I think too, it's not isolating because sometimes people will attack, but if, if we're in a, if we're in an environment of, of trust and support with our support network, we can get feedback of, Hey, am I doing something wrong? Am I coming across the wrong way? Give me some feedback here. If I got people that are going to be honest with me and not afraid to tell me the truth and give feedback, then I can make a course correction. Well, I want to I encourage you to be careful because we have a couple of mutual friends, men that are very active, open speakers, and their pictures have been hijacked by scammers to be used for multiple profiles to scam women. I don't know if that's happened to you, but we have a couple of friends in common it, and I know it, it, it's happened to me multiple times and I've got a lot of friends in this space, the personal development speaker coaching space where it, it happens. And so um, I think the frustrating thing about it is you can have that and you can report it to Instagram and have 50 of your dear friends report it to Instagram that it's spam, that it's somebody fake and that all the um, uh, many times the social media platform drags their feet, takes forever to take any action or they don't do anything at all. And so it just, it's the world we live in. I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. And I think uh, um, if the more and more we're authentic and I'll always verify, right? Always, always check it out. You, you can normally tell when you're looking at somebody's profile, if, if it's, if it's fake or not, just oh, yeah. by a number of things that you do? Well, we can because we know what to look for. But because mm -hmm. most people aren't suspecting fraud or suspecting a scammer, then they they are taken away. Like you said, they're, we, it's the amygdala hijack. You know, they're, they hear the things, they see the things, they don't want to verify. They could be overseas. I mean, I, we work with, men, with yeah. women, particularly around the world. And yeah. what gripes me the most is the, the men that are in military uniforms their pictures are being used by scammers and then it's affecting their family and their lives. But I, I was surrounded by military, you too probably. So I know what to look for, but yeah. most people, when they see someone in uniform, they're looking for trust yeah. and, you know, support, kindness. It could be a woman over in the Philippines. She's like, oh, well, you know, American soldiers gotta be true. And that stolen valor is- I, I, I'm not crypto i'm not selling anyone bitcoin i i mean there, there's so many people are you doing bitcoin now no i haven't i'm doing i'm a book publisher and uh, but it's your picture but it's not me it's somebody that grabbed my picture online and set up a fake account yeah but it's important to know and not to stalk you because yeah. then the victim that feels like you they're in love with you because of your pictures is going after you and that is a crime 
So yeah. if you see anybody that looks like Michael Butler out there, if it's not Michael D. Butler, publisher, it is not a true profile. So I'm glad Thank we you. talked about that. <laughs> we'll put that out in the world. One thing, I, this hour is flying by, Michael, and there's one thing that you do that I really want to focus on now, and that is your work with your for, your uh, 501c3, your nonprofit, 1040. 10, impact, 40 10, impact. impact. How did you get involved with that? Explain to us what you do. I think it's fabulous. Well, you know, I was a pastor for 14 years before I went into uh, book publishing, and I always really had a passion for people in that 1040 window, which is is Asia, and it's pretty much the Middle East through Northern Africa and all the way over to Asia and China that are what's called an unreached people group. And these are people that, um, you know, they don't have a lot of opportunities, but particularly with uh, uh, the advent of human trafficking, which has become a, it's, it's a global thing. It's a global thing. So we were, we were made aware and I began to communicate with the team that was on the ground in Asia, specifically Pakistan for the last 10 years. And so for the last five years, uh, I've been, I've been supporting them personally and then checking them out. So I've made three trips over there personally. And then I, I, I created a, a nonprofit and I took my board members over there last year to really look at the work that we're doing on the ground in rescuing kids and getting medical treatment for kids and educating kids, clothing and um, training them daily in a support environment in a family environment. For example, uh, right now, what we do is we feed, clothe and educate 206 orphans per day, every day, 365 days a year. When the US military and the allied forces pulled out of Afghanistan that left a vacuum in the country, parents were so desperate. They were selling their children. And it's hard for me as a parent to understand this, but I don't judge because I'm not there to see my girls abused by the Taliban on a daily basis. And you get an opportunity to stay here and you know what to expect, or you can send them to Pakistan. They sold the kids to Pakistan, a broker. They knew it was a sex trafficker. So we intercepted them. Uh, we, we gained custody of the girls and um, got them medical treatment and put them into our school and to our safe house. And so that, that brought our numbers to 186. We're now at 206 uh, because two weeks ago we acquired 25 more children, primarily ages 8 to 10, that had been trafficked, got them medical treatment. They're in our safe house and they're in our school. And so they're in a safe family environment. We have a loving, caring, certified staff there that's educating them, um, helping them cope with everything they've been through, but also to prepare them for life so they don't go have to go back into trafficking. So for example, when the girls age out at age 18, they go to cosmetology school. We have a scholarship program where they go through cosmetology school, they get mentored, they get their apartments, and they are, they're, they're uh, looked after, and they become productive members of society. And so it's a, it's a real win-win. And the way we win there is through education. We actually have printers in, um, in Sahiwal, Pakistan. We print books in Urdu. We promote literacy. The kids learn how to read in Urdu, but also in English. So it's a really a valuable program and it's been life-changing. It's been a lot of blast. In fact, I took two of my authors, female authors, uh, along with one of my other board members there last April, who spoke at a women's conference. There are many young women there. Normally they're not allowed to attend meetings. They're definitely not allowed to speak from stage. And it was just phenomenal and powerful. We've got amazing video and photos of our women that were speaking and empowering. We got so many great testimonials from the young women that were empowered to 
go to school, to become doctors, to learn more, to start businesses, to become entrepreneurial. And that was something that they had never really been exposed to or heard before in their culture. So that's, that was just, it's something we're very passionate about. We've got trips planned to go back. It's not always safe there. So we're very strategic about the time we go. And we always have uh, an armed escort. We always have armed guards and it's, we make it safe. We make it safe. That's an amazing, amazing thing. And, and as you were talking about them not being able to speak up, when I actually went before the pandemic, I was able to go over to India and speak at the Women's Economic Forum. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable women, doctors, you know, running hospitals, lawyers outside the family, phenomenal women. Inside the family, the culture was very patriarchal in a, in a, not a harsh way, but many of them were not able to speak up in their homes. Yeah. And we had a couple of Americans, including my story, which they, you could have heard a pin drop, but in India, there are a lot of scammers in India and they recognize that. So when they heard my side of the story, it was very interesting, but women that I knew that went, that traveled with me had maybe been divorced. They were talking about being divorced. And, and I know those Indian girls, the young girls came up to us and said, we could never speak about that. We can never talk about that. How can we find out? And they wanted to learn. They wanted to know how they could take their power back. And Absolutely. it's very tough in some of those countries. But this well, I think by them, seeing, there. by them seeing you, the mind once expanded can never go back to its original position. And that's the beautiful thing here. And uh, just by you going there and sharing your story and them hearing you and seeing you, that's what's so phenomenal. And that's a part of what we do every time we go. We either take one or two of our board members and we take one or two entrepreneurs. entrepreneurs, And uh, it's, it's a really powerful thing because, you know, as an American coming there for the first time, maybe they've been to Mexico before, but that's different than coming to, you know, India or Pakistan or another nation like that where, you know, women aren't speaking as much from stage and and at home they definitely don't have a voice. And so this is a new paradigm for them. And it, it's definitely causing some of these nations to set up and think now because they have the Internet and they're seeing how the world truly operates and that women can be elected to high, high, high levels of politics in any nation and can make a difference and can start a movement with their voice and with their book and with their stories. So I think it's just a matter of time where uh, we're going to see more of an equal playing field globally. And, and I think you, you sharing that, I remembered when you went and, uh, and uh, I, I think that's just powerful and impactful. So good work. Well, it was sensory overload on so many levels. Smell, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. sights, food, cows in the streets. It was amazing. But I do remember the women saying, we wish we could speak up like you ladies do in the States. Yeah. And I'm, I, when I saw what you were doing, I'm like, oh, that's so wonderful. Because as we started the show, we were talking about mothers and the influences of the generations. Those young women are future mothers. And future leaders and what a great start they have now. One question, when you rescue those girls, are you able to get back to their families and let them know that they're okay? You know, you know that's, that's a great question. So we, we would love to do that. And uh, in the Afghan case, not yet. Okay. So that was my question to the team on the ground about 60 days ago, 
because they deal with that trauma, but then they move forward. So what they do is they disassociate, right? Because they have this coping mechanism. We all have a coping mechanism called trauma. If somebody's been through a traumatic thing or a rape or an abuse thing, particularly when you're young, you can, you can, I'm not a shrink, but you can disassociate and cope with that. But when you're in a new family environment, uh, so the short answer is yes and no. Uh, with the Afghan girls that we rescued, the 26 Afghan girls, the answer is no. We haven't been able to get word back. Uh, but you know what? Uh, they they got really lucky. And, and and I would say in this case, as an answer to prayer, their prayers were answered. Uh, because if they could see now where their girls are at, it, it would be life-changing. So at some point, they will know. And hopefully, at some point, they can be reunited. So, you know, when you see that picture of that little baby being handed up over the wall, and it just rips your heart out. But you know, hey, if I was a parent and I was in that situation, I would be passing my kid up there too, because that is a desperate, desperate, desperate situation. And so I'm just grateful we were making able to make a small impact, but not only to rescue. I mean, rescue is the first step, but now we prepared them for a life of success. I mean, imagine where these girls will be 10 or 20 years from now and the impact that they're going to be making. I have no doubt, Debbie. And I love that question uh, that many of these girls will be reunited with their family and will be able to tell the full story. And understand why their parents did it, because I can see that initially they could be really upset that their parents gave them away, but not knowing. But I, can tell you, I can tell you this, our, our entire staff there, and we just had a staff marriage that was very beautiful. All of our staff um, are kids that grew up as orphans mm. and they totally understand the culture, the mindset, and then what it takes. And they are all there working, working in our nonprofit because they love what they're doing. They feel called to do it and they, it's a give back for them. And so what they have is they have a family environment and certainly they do know, they certainly do know. And we certainly tell them only, only a couple of the kids actually speak fluent English, but we have interpreters there when we go because all of our team is bilingual in Urdu and in English. So they're able to, we, we communicate that with them on a daily basis that you're smart. We don't just tell them they're beautiful, but we tell them you're smart, you're beautiful, and you're powerful. And we tell them that every day. And they, are, they have such value. And I can see a whole nother generation of book writers, of authors, you know, international well, authors. But we're actually compiling some of their stories into books as well. Fabulous. So, Michael, our hour is flying by. How can people connect with you? Well, I think I've got my uh, website up on the screen. It's michaeldbutler.com. Michael D is in davidbutler.com. And people can see what we're doing uh, with the book publishing, with getting you on stage, with uh, our nonprofit. And if, if somebody wants to jump on my schedule, my calendar link is even on the homepage of my website. I would love to meet you. If you have a book idea you want to run by me, uh, or if you just want to give me an encouraging word about the nonprofit or to learn more. So Debbie, I want to thank you. Another Day in Paradise. You're doing phenomenal work. Uh, your book that I always call Fearless, with Fearless, it's right there. That, that's a powerful book right there. And in fact, I was looking through some of our pictures the other day of when you were in Dallas. So you're doing amazing things. I'm honored to be on the show. And uh, uh, wow, uh, every, every time I turn around, you're doing something amazing and interviewing amazing people. So keep up the great work. Well, thank you so much. It is definitely the Mutual Admiration Society, but we're around some fabulous people. And the message I got from one of your interviews, it said, the story is a simple get, get oh, excuse me. Your story is a simple gateway to your message to creating a movement. 
Yeah. It's a matter of just speaking up. Stand up, speak up, open your mouth. And Beyond Publishing is Michael's publishing house. And, and it resonate with everybody, but once you begin sharing it, your tribe will show up. Just keep Absolutely. talking. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's international. It is international with the way things are today. So Michael D. Butler, thank you so very much. Colonel Butler. Thank you, Debbie. All those great things. Thanks a lot. Have a wonderful day. I appreciate you being here. Mahalo. <laughs> All right. Aloha. Take care, everybody. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and to being your best self. If you are the victim of a scam or cybercrime, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about options and recovery. SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, is an incorporated nonprofit crime victims assistance organization based in Miami, Florida, supporting scam victims worldwide. If you can, make a small donation to help victims around the world receive the help they need. This episode has been sponsored by BenfoComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles or numbness in their hands and feet, check out our Benfoteaming products at BenfoComplete.com. Use the special code STANDUP for a 5% discount on your purchase. Again, thank you for being with us today. Go to my website, The Woman Behind the Smile, for additional resources and information. Subscribe to my YouTube channel and enjoy the replays. My books are all available on Amazon.com and Audible, and I encourage you to join us again. Have a great day.